Welcome to Headlines with Metaverse Land Club. My name is Robin Copernicus, and Metaverse Land Club, again, is the think tank toolkit community to help you grow generational wealth from different metaverse plays. And we do this episode weekly. We do it every Tuesday at 7 p.m. And if you don't have time to follow everything that's happening in the NFT space, then let us do the work for you. Come hang out with us every Tuesday and just check out what's going on in the space. All right. So in today's episode, we are going to cover the price of Ethereum and gas like we usually do. Then we will talk about the main headlines for the road to NFT adoption and then some of the recent scams and hacks that's been going on in the NFT space and we'll end it with top headlines. I'm, and I'm going to look down every moment, every now and then, just to check the chat, just to make sure everything is good. If things do not look right to you, please let me know. And I'm just noticing that there's like a piece of my dog's hair on my microphone and I had to remove that. All right, so let's get into it. So price for Ethereum and gas. And if you watched the show before, you know that I like to pop into the Discord because in our Discord... Let me see. Don't switch. We have the Ethereum price with our Ethereum bot right here. And you can see Ethereum is at 1,947. It's been under 2,000 for a little bit. We had a little bit of a pump happening this week. And one of the questions that we've had people ask in our Discord, in our OG chat, is will Ethereum go below $1,700? So we're going to answer that question at the end of the show. And I see DM Aztec is on as well. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just send a really quick update into the Discord, letting people know to get into the chat. And hopefully we should see it here. Yep. There we go. Gas is at 64. There hasn't been that much activity. I think some of the, the most hyped projects that we've seen in the past week have been the goblin towns and let's actually just look up OpenSea and see how OpenSea is going so OpenSea stats and it's always good to check OpenSea stats one of the things that was mentioned earlier during the nft craze of last year is nfts when crypto went down nfts went up and what you're seeing right now is that's not really the case because crypto is going down. NFTs are actually going down. Board Ape, they had a floor above 100. Now it's 90. Ethereum was around $4,500. That would mean that the floor price of Board Ape was around $450,000 when it was 100. And now that it's at 90 and Ethereum is below 2,000, that means the Board Ape floor is now at 180,000. So it dropped by 50%. Even though with ETH, it looks like it hasn't dropped that much, but now we know that there's actually no correlation so far just because we don't have that much data to see how crypto prices affect NFT prices. And for me, I mean, if you had to think about it, people that are interested in NFTs are also interested in crypto too. So for me, it would seem like they would actually move in tandem. Goblin Town was one of the things that have been minting this week that's causing a lot of hype. I really don't understand this project, to be honest with you. They have a Twitter spaces where people just get on and they make a bunch of fart noises and, and things like that. And I guess, you know, cool. If you can find your community and find your people within that community, then fun, right? So Macy, I mean, the floor for Macy was around 20 to 24 Ethereum. Now it's at 18 Ethereum. And again, Ethereum dropped by 50%, over 50%. So 18 Ethereum, that's like 
$36,000 now for a mate. All right, MLC community updates. There haven't been really many updates. The Discord has been a little slow. It's been Memorial Day weekend, so it's totally understandable. And I've actually been out of the Discord a little bit myself, just kind of resetting. And I feel really good now just coming back in because this is the time when I'm watching other people, investors, actually double down on, on the crypto space, and this is the time to build. So everyone who's here now is actually here because they're in it for the long, the, the long haul. So I should definitely be in the chat a little bit more. If you're not in our Discord, go ahead and join. You can find a link in the comments below. And we're going to go right into the road to NFT adoption. Let me switch back to the ppt view so we mentioned this last week and again we had a lot of drop frames last week but the federal reserve they there was a survey done and in that survey what it says is the federal reserve says 12 percent of americans own crypto and that's that's actually pretty high. I was asking Jesus this earlier, and he's, you know, he he mentioned that that seems much higher than normal. Twelve percent. That means that, you know, if you have, for every ten or twelve, for every you know ten people, eight people in the U.S., one of them owns crypto. Out of this survey, this survey was done with a huge sample size, so there was. Whoops, didn't mean to do that. There was a. Uh, Nine, uh, let's see, 11,000 people that were surveyed. So it's a pretty good, decent sample size. Out of those people that were surveyed, 92% are holding crypto strictly for speculation. So most people that are holding crypto, they're just holding it because they think it'll go up. They're not holding it because they see any value in it. They're just speculating on the price. They believe it'll it'll go up. Out of the people, the 12% that actually own it, 2% actually use crypto. So 2% are, are using crypto for different bank transactions. And one of the interesting things out of that 2% is actually 13% of those people do not even have a bank account. So they're actually using crypto because they don't have a bank account. And that's pretty interesting to me. One of the reasons why this is interesting is most people that are in the space, and my guess would be the people that are in the space, 71% of people that are in the space, they make over $50,000 per year. So the average income in the US is around $45,000 per year. So most of the people that are in, in crypto have an above average income. And then 46% of the people of that 12% that has crypto, 46% are actually making incomes above 100000 per year. So this kind of makes sense when you have a lot of money that you can spend, ex expendable money. There's like another term for it. It's like completely losing my head, um, leaving my brain. Anyway, when you have disposable income, there we go. When you have a lot of disposable income, you're going to speculate. And crypto is like one of those places where a lot of people are speculating. I think the more interesting thing is actually the people that are using it. So my guess is if there's 13 people, 13% 13 of people that actually use it to transact, they don't have bank accounts. So that means that the people that aren't speculating are actually using it and this is something that you're actually seeing also throughout the entire world because what you see with the metaverse, for example, there was another survey done with the World Economic Forum 
where most people in developed countries and first world countries like the US or England, they were actually interested or motivated by the metaverse at all. But people that are in developing countries, they're actually more interested in the metaverse. And you could definitely see why, because there's people that are making real money being able to compete against other people across the whole world. I mean, the, the metaverse makes the world so much more flatter so people can contribute to an economy. So if you look at the Philippines, for example, the Philippines, they understand American culture very well, speak English very well, and they can actually compete in American markets through the internet. And you see a lot of Filipinos that are actually playing peer or play to earn games to earn money because the amount of money that you make in the Philippines can take you much further. I mean, if you're making American income in the Philippines, you can have a much better life than if you're making a Filipino income. I feel like I butchered all that up. Thank you so much, guys, for, for bearing with me. eBay launches an NFT. So they get into the NFT game with a Wayne Gretzky NFT. And I think this is going to be interesting because eBay is pretty much home for a bunch of traders and a bunch of these traders that are trade already trading on eBay, they haven't seen the NFT game yet. And if you get some of those people into NFTs, I think you can see a pretty good, decent adoption for NFTs. GameStop also launched a crypto wallet. You see all these different companies launching a crypto wallet in the bear market. Not that much use. You saw Coinbase launch its marketplace and, and all these different people that are launching. They're just launching things, trying to take advantage of the hype that was there. But now you're not getting that much use. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. GameStop does have a name, especially within the DGen community. It's a very nostalgic name. And what they want to do is they want to create a crypto wallet for gaming so gamestop has a gaming sort sort of like just a game oriented crypto wallet then this was really interesting to me ipfs nodes in space and if you're not sure what ipfs is ips ipfs stands for interplanetary file system so if you own an nft it's most likely sitting the data for your nft is most likely sitting in ipfs the way that ipfs works is every time you upload some media it assigns it with some unique identifier so if you try to upload that again it would have a different unique identifier and this kind of makes it where it's a decentralized media platform ipfs is not the only place where you might see people store nft data there's also platforms such as rweave and other things but ipfs what happened is filecoin got together with Lockheed Martin and they decided to launch IPFS nodes in space. And this is going to be awesome because what this means is it's going to be a lot more decentralized. If you're in a country like Russia, for example, that shuts off the internet and doesn't want your people on the internet anymore, well, you can still connect to the internet with satellites and space. I'm just going to peek down at the comments really quickly. Let's see. We also have... AG in the house in the comments all right this was really interesting to me this just happened this week tether launches a Mexican peso stablecoin the MXNT and one of the reasons why they're doing this is because they're seeing an increase in adoption in Latin America and for those that know me well you guys know that I'm actually living in Medellin Colombia and you'll be surprised because if you drive around Colombia you'll see billboards of people selling NFTs Latin America is very excited about 
the crypto space very excited about the metaverse very excited about nfts and this is an interesting move from tether especially since stable coins are under a lot of scrutiny so we saw last week that a lot of different governments were looking to regulate stable coins because of what happened with luna and here tether who there's already a lot of controversy around whether tether actually has the backing for its it's stablecoin. They're actually launching in Mexican peso. So all the noise that you hear in the background, whatever you hear, there's p companies and people just still moving forward almost as if it's business as usual. And I hope these are kind of clues to what everyone else is doing. OpenSea launches the Seaport protocol. And this is going to be one of the most important things because there's so many different NFT marketplaces coming out. You have Looks Rare, you have all these different other marketplaces coming out. And OpenSea, they're actually, what they're doing is they're just acquiring all these different players and they're bringing those features onto the platform. So one of the things that a lot of different NFT traders would like to do is instead of trading their NFTs for ETH and having to make you know four or six different transactions to try to get the asset that they want, with the Seaport protocol, you're going to be able to do peer-to-peer -peer trades that are highly customized so what this means is let's say for example you want to sell your goblin town nft but you don't want ethereum for it let's say you want a macy for it let's say you want a mutant ape well you can list it for a mutant ape or you can say you know for my goblin town i'll take anyone that gives me 10 ethereum plus a adidas nft and you'll be able to make these unique type of deals where you can do peer-to-peer -peer trades where if you want to just trade an nft for an nft or packages of nfts for a different package of nfts you'll be able to do this with the seaport protocol the seaport protocol is open source so a lot of people are going to be able to develop on it and i think this is really going to be key for OpenSea to keep liquidity onto its platform one of the reasons why you don't see that much adoption on other nft marketplaces is because there's just not that much liquidity there's not that many people trading on it so it's really difficult to get eyeballs well OpenSea, pretty much everyone's on OpenSea, and there's a lot of open eyeballs on OpenSea. so OpenSea is trying to make sure that it can keep that liquidity on its marketplace to to remain king and i think with this launch of seaport they're actually making the right moves so even though people are frustrated with OpenSea, I feel like based on the strategy that OpenSea is using, OpenSea is going to be king for a very long time. Speaking of investments into the space, now throughout the show, I kept on saying that, you know, what you're going to see is it's a bear market, but people are just treating this as business as usual. And so this is like what smart money is doing right so south korea and this is the government of south korea they actually earmarked 177.1 million dollars for the metaverse they understand the importance of metaverse of the metaverse and they're actually this is like the first time that a government is earmarking funds directly for this effort not only south of south korea but you also see venture capital firms doubling down on metaverse plays so vc firms such as a16z they just launched a brand new crypto fund their fourth crypto fund and they raised 4.5 billion dollars for this fund and it's not going to be just for the metaverse but they're looking at stable coins different DeFi, as well as web3 plays but it just goes to show you that 
people are still moving forward and it's business as usual. They're not scared of the bear market. They understand that this is the time to actually build. There is another fund that just started called Old Fashioned Research. And this was created by, let's see, this was created by some of the former um, executives at Binance. And they raised $100 million to be able to invest into spreading crypto adoption in developing countries. So again, when you see billboards in Medellin, Colombia, these are probably the type of players that are behind some of these efforts. Right-click heist, my favorite part of the show. Not really favorite. I mean, it's it's a little sad, but it's a good part of the show to learn how other people are getting hacked so you can stop yourself from getting hacked so there was like two major things you probably already heard that seth green lost his board ape so seth green he will before i even go into what seth green was doing there was another big hack where an nft collector lost 29 moonbird nfts and that was around 1.5 million dollars worth of nfts and he's trying to get those back there's some rumors that people know who it is because the person is half doxxed but you see these uh, a lot of these heists now seth green he lost his board ape and one of the sad parts about his, his board ape is he actually invested a lot of his time and resources into developing the IP for his board ape because he created a TV show. It was supposed to, the trailer was supposed to debut at Gary V's VCon. And while making the debut, Seth Green revealed that his board ape was actually stolen. Now, one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up, because you probably heard this on the news already, but... The interesting part is there's some lawyers out there that are saying that Seth Green may still be able to use his IP. And this is an argument that some people are making. And it's an interesting argument because when you buy a Bored Ape NFT, as soon as you make that purchase, you own the rights to that NFT. Now, there's no clarification on what happens to those IP rights if you sell the NFT. So right now, if you purchase that NFT, you own the IP rights which technically kind of means that every single person who purchases it still has the IP rights. So it could be argued that Seth Green actually still owns and retains the IP rights for his board ape because he purchased that board ape one time in his life. And now he forever has that IP right. And of course, this is you know, project dependent, right? Because if you look at projects such as Takashi Murakami Flowers, he strictly specifies how you can use the IP. You don't have any commercial rights for the IP. You can't create any derivatives. He has very unique and special use cases. There's other people as well. Snoop Dogg for his music NFTs. You don't own commercial rights to his NFTs. You might It might grant you some rights, but you won't be able to play his music, for example, in the background of your YouTube video. Now, with Seth Green losing his board ape, this actually does introduce a pretty interesting argument on whether Seth Green still retains the IP rights for his board ape. And if he goes, you know, go ahead, goes ahead and releases the show, the person who bought the stolen asset, I mean, like, what are they going to do? They're going to try to they're going to try to sue Seth Green for buying an asset that every single person in the world knows is stolen. So this this is definitely very interesting. And I would actually like I would encourage Seth Green just to put it out there just so we can kind of see what would. All right. One of the top headlines. So how low can we go? And again, this 
This question was from our Discord. Someone in the OG chat says, do you foresee Ethereum going below 1700 And being in the crypto space, when you least expect something to happen, that thing will happen. If people are expecting Ethereum to go below 1700 maybe it never goes below 1700 and maybe it goes up. But one of the key things to keep in mind is right now when you're in a bear market and people are leaving the market and volume is drying up, then that's the easiest time to actually make big splashes so you can manipulate the price. So where Ethereum is right now, it's tinkering between $1,900 and things like this. You could definitely have a whale that's going in there and they're slowly buying up Ethereum and then they plan to dump all the Ethereum that they bought and maybe recover, not even recover, maybe they, after they dump all their Ethereum, you know, they sell it where they're not at a loss, they're not at a win, they kind of just balance out to zero. But what they do is they start off this scare and this panic, so people start panic selling and Ethereum just keeps going lower and lower and lower and then that's when this whale can come back in and buy more ethereum so when you have times uh bear markets especially in the crypto space because in the stock market there are there you still have liquidity in bear markets because there are mechanisms to short the market in the crypto space there aren't many mechanisms for shorting you can you know probably short bitcoin you can short ethereum but you can't really short nfts as of yet because there aren't that many mechanisms for shorting volume starts drying up so when volume dries up, liquidity dries up. And when liquidity dries up, that's when volatility starts to go up. And that's when you can kind of start to see a lot of funny business on the blockchain. So can we go past or can we go below $1,700? Absolutely. If I had to make a guess and if I were saving some money on the sidelines, I think $1,200 for me would be a really good price where I would jump in. But again, you don't know whether where it's going to go. So always the, the best, and this really is advice, the best advice that I think pretty much everyone gives is to dollar cost average your way in. And I think that's a, that's a pretty good advice. One of the benefits that you actually get, I wouldn't even say benefit, but one of the things, artifacts, benefits, effects, one of the effects that you get from not having too many shorting mechanisms in the crypto space is you actually have easy bull runs. So when you are in a period where it's like, it's so easy to make money. It doesn't matter which asset you're putting your money into and it's just really easy. That's probably the time to get out. So this was my commentary on how low can we go? Can we go past 1700 on Ethereum? Absolutely, um, especially because volume and liquidity has been drying up. And yeah, that's it. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you guys so much for joining me. And let's see. Check in the chat really quick. Doesn't seem like there's any new message, but big shout outs to DM Aztec, OGesus, AG, and Edelin for showing up on these chats. And we will see you in the next episode. So this is Robin Copernicus with Metaverse Land Club, the think tank toolkit community for investor entrepreneurs looking to grow generational wealth. All right, guys, I will see you later.